0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us now open God's holy word. And we have three scripture readings. We begin with the word of God in Mark chapter 6, the verses 7 to 13. And then we go to the gospel according to Matthew. Chapter twenty eight verses sixteen to twenty. And finally we turn to the second letter to the Corinthians chapter two verse twelve through seventeen. We begin then with the gospel according to Mark, chapter six at verse seven. Calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. We turn now to the end of the gospel according to Matthew, verses 16, 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then we turn to the second letter to the Corinthians. Chapter 2, the verses 12 to 17. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, In Christ, we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. This afternoon, we will let ourselves be guided in dealing with the gospel as found in God's word, as summed up in Lord's Day 25 of the Halliburr Catechism. And there we confess, since then, faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. Where does this faith come from? From the Holy Spirit, who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are wholly visible signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by their use he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise, that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both the Word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the New Covenant? Two. Holy Baptism and the Holy Supper. Brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the daily and weekly news continues to remind us of the ongoing struggle in Iraq. And when you see kind of images from Iraq or even from Afghanistan, no more Canadian troops had to go there, then it's always it's always very intimidating. When you see those soldiers, they go on the planes and that pack they have to carry, all their belongings, and that's how they go to the battlefront. And often when you see them in their uniforms, all the equipment they have on, you say, man, what a weight. How can they even run around? How can they accomplish their task? They have all this, this luggage, all this stuff to carry around. There is all this military equipment, all that is necessary, and still they're not able, it seems, to accomplish their mission of changing the situation where they are. And so then we see how it goes in the world. If you want to kind of impose your will on another people, it takes a massive display of force. And we know, of course, not only is it the case of sometimes one country trying to impose its vision on another country, but often also, of course, within a country you have certain forces opposing one another, and again, they have a massive equipment, all kind of weaponry, to go about their task as they try to assert their way over the rest of the population. Of course, in countries like our own, we experience it more politely in things called elections, but in other countries, it often are insurrections with all the consequences. What a contrast that is. To the way that we see our Lord Jesus Christ go about asserting His authority. The way that He goes about trying to win people over to the kingdom. In Mark 6 we read how He instructed His disciples to go out on one of those tours during His own time on earth with nothing except a staff. They weren't allowed to take any bread, no bag, no money, No extra change of clothes. There was only a foretaste of what was to come. And we can gather this from what we read also in Matthew 28, the passage popularly called the Great Commission. Because what it comes down to, the Lord Jesus Christ sent his apostles into the world with nothing but water and the word. Now I say nothing but It may not seem to be very much, but by that water and the word, our Lord Jesus Christ set out to conquer the hearts of men and women. And in a world impressed by displays of power, a world where people are won over by glitzy productions, but they're easily brought to tears by all kinds of dramatic displays, we do well to reflect on the way it is revealed that Christ conquers hearts by water and the word. now we begin with the word. that this is proper becomes clear when we carefully note the way our Lord phrased his instruction to his disciples and the way that they went out and implemented his instruction. As for the instructions I point out to you that the general exhortation and I'm referring here to Matthew 28, is to go out and make disciples of all nations. We could paraphrase it and say, the Lord said to his followers, his apostles, go out and make believers of all nations. After all, a disciple in this context is one who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. But now our Lord Jesus Christ did not only give a very general exhortation, but he also explained to them, he spelled out for them how they were to go about accomplishing this task. Because there were going to be two tools at their disposal, baptizing and teaching. Now it's important to note that our Lord Jesus did not say, first baptize and then teach, nor did he say, first teach and then baptize. Rather, baptizing and teaching together, are the way that you go about making disciples. Because remember, the verb is not baptize, it's not teach. The verb in that sentence is, go and make disciples. And then the question that arises, well, how do you do this? Well, by two ways, baptizing and teaching. Now, when the Lord Jesus Christ gave those two descriptions then of how to go about it, that he that it becomes clear that he was not laying down a hard and fast sequence comes out when also we consider how the disciples then went out and implemented this. Because if, if it was a sequence, then the first thing they would have had to do was baptize and then teach. But, as I said, the point is not sequence. There are simply two components of how you go make disciples. For the book of Acts, the way it unfolds for us shows that the disciples went out preaching, first of all. Think of Pentecost. There, after the Spirit came upon the disciples and finally, it seems like their tongues were loosed, they became bold, what did they do? What does Peter do? He preaches. He preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And only once people had heard that preaching and they said, now what shall we do? Then he says, well, be baptized. And the same is true when you think of Paul's missionary journeys. He was always preaching that Jesus was the Christ Christ. And then those who believed his message, well, in due time, they were baptized. So the disciples did not seem to have any pangs of conscience about, you could say, reversing any order that our Lord had prescribed in the Great Commission, because they understood very well the point was not some kind of sequence, first baptism, then teaching, but there were two aspects of how you go about making disciples. For in fact, it would not be really till you came to the second generation of Christians, then the general sequence would be reversed because then baptism would take place very early in the life of a child following the custom of circumcision. And after the the baptism, later on would come the teaching. And now there's a few examples from the book of Acts that show how the Lord Jesus Christ indeed conquers hearts by the word. Now, as I speak of the Word, I do want to point out that I am not speaking here about the Bible. Because if you think about it, just try to visualize it, when the apostles went into the world, they, they did not go with, with Bibles in their hands. They didn't have that yet beyond the Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't there. And yet, they preached the Word. And that Word then refers to the content. It refers to the good news about Jesus Christ. They went with the gospel of Jesus Christ on their lips. And as we noted, they became bold to proclaim this after Pentecost. And the Spirit filled them with that boldness. And from that point on, they faithfully and boldly proclaimed the word of God, which is that Jesus is the Christ, salvation is found in him. But we have to understand them bringing the word as meaning that they preached the gospel message is confirmed also by what the Apostle Paul writes, for example, in Romans chapter 10. When you listen to the way that he writes, you will notice that the emphasis falls on the oral communication of the gospel in his constant reference to preaching and hearing. For example, he writes, And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? And a little further he writes, So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes from the preaching of Christ. And Now the Apostle Peter, he makes the very same point in his first letter as he writes, You have been born anew, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And what is that word of God? Well, he explains a few verses later, But the word of God, he says, is the good news which was preached to you. And when you see those passages and the way that the apostles went about their work, you can well understand that when the catechism also wants to explain how this faith now comes about, this faith through which we are saved, and it is the work of the Spirit that he works through the preaching of the gospel. It's not the reading of the Bible, it is to the preaching of the gospel and hearing that preaching. Now it is no luxury to stress this, because it gives us also a proper perspective on the scriptures. You know, you may want to review for yourself later on at home what is confessed about the scriptures, for example, in the Belgian Confession, articles two and three. And the point is made there that God makes himself more clearly and fully known by his holy and divine word. What is that word? Well, it's added, article three, that in his, God's in his special care commanded his servants to commit his revealed word to writing. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And in that way, his church would always have access to an accurate account of the gospel. We should realize, however, that the power is not in the individual words, as if there is magic attached to them. The words, you could say, are normal words, ands and buts and he and she and all kinds of verbs, but it is in the way the words come together to form a word. It forms a message, the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. And when you really come down to it, You don't need an actual copy of the Bible to tell the story of salvation. The Bible is there to help us remember the details and to be there for the constant verification and refreshment. So if somebody says, well, where do you get that from? Oh, let's go to the scriptures and then you can verify everything that is being said. But always keep in mind, it needs to be proclaimed to God's people. It cannot just stay with words written on the page. Even a good example of that is of the incident we read in the book of Acts about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. There he was reading, but what was missing for that eunuch to understand that gospel was a preacher. And Philip fulfilled that role of being a preacher. And then all of a sudden the scriptures were opened and he understood and he believed. That's how it goes with the word of God. God does not send Bibles into the world, world, but he sends preachers of the gospel into the world. And when you think about that, hey, that the importance of that oral communication of the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ, well, that's of course also why the churches keep on sending out missionaries. That's why we keep on having preaching every Sunday again, not just time together to listen to a Bible reading. No, to hear the preaching. But even if you think about that aspect of that oral communication, so often people go, missionaries go into countries where there are no Bibles, maybe there is no Bible in the language of those people, and yet Christ wins over the people because the missionaries bring across the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. When you really come down to it, if necessary, a missionary can go into any region of the world with nothing more than the clothes on his back and he can teach the people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it may be that human frailty in terms of memory and understanding may make us reach for the books and for the Bible itself. First of all, then for books and for commentaries. But in the end, what wins the hearts of people is the gospel, the word of God about Jesus Christ. It's also the point the Apostle Paul was making in his second letter to the Corinthians. Because he spoke of, of Christ leading the disciples in triumph, spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere through the disciples. And now Paul recognizes that not everyone liked that fragrance. We hear that as he writes about being the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Let me get that image, that to some, the gospel is the most beautiful aroma, and they are drawn to it, they want more and more. And to others, it's a stench, and they can't take it, and they'll do whatever to get it out of their system. It's all done through the preaching of the gospel. What is clear from all this is that Christ conquers hearts by the word. It's the gospel. It's true. You've noted, not everyone who hears it is enamored by it. There are many who mock the gospel. But for those who are being saved, it, that is the preaching of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is the power of God unto salvation. It's the love of God as shown in Jesus Christ is what softens the hearts of sinners. And now compared to high tech, Advertising campaigns used to get people interested in buying certain kind of products. You could say, when you come right down to it, the Spirit uses a very low-tech approach. But as the Lord Jesus Christ said, think of John 10, the sheep will recognize in the word as preached the voice of the Good Shepherd. For sinners don't need gimmicks, they just need to hear The good news, the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ, pure and simple. For that gospel, that won hearts from Jerusalem to Rome. And it has kept on spreading beyond that. It has won, you could say, hearts from Jerusalem to Jakarta. And on it goes. For a light of the Great Commission, the church to this day knows really what it has to do. It has, to, it has to preach the pure gospel, that is the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ, and then hearts will be won. It is that gospel which is the drawing card of the church. I have to emphasize that time and again, brothers and sisters. The gospel is the drawing card. You know, sometimes you see advertising in the newspaper, where certain groups try to draw members to their assembly. And they say, well, friendly atmosphere here, exciting music, choir. It's an advertising for the C.L.A., As if that is the drawing card for the church. It isn't. It's the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. If that does not draw people, whatever else brings him in the building is not going to bring about conversion because God has given the power to the preaching of the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. And if we see that, then we might say, yes, it is a low-tech approach that the Lord uses, but that's His power. It's His wisdom. And if we understand that, that we understand why we come to church every Sunday again. We understand why we take our children to church, because we know what God is doing. Can't see it, but we know what He is doing. He is letting that Word be the seed of regeneration. He is letting that Word build us in the faith. Low-tech, high power, from the highest power, the Lord our God. And now it is our time to turn our attention from the Word to the water. Of course, the use of the term water is understandable in light of using Matthew 28 as our guiding thought in dealing with the matters brought to our attention in Lord's Day 25. I have taken the liberty to use that water, you could say, as a representative way for what we call the sacraments. And to put it more in terms of Lord's Day 25, you could say that Christ conquers hearts by the water, the bread, and the word. To include also that second sacrament, namely the Lord's Supper. Now the first thing to stress as we begin to reflect on how Christ conquers hearts by the water is the way that the apostles went out to do their work. And how it teaches also that the water and the bread Sacraments, they they are of a supportive role. They are secondary. The Apostle Paul even makes the point that in his own ministry, he baptized very few people. Above all, he was a preacher of the gospel, because that was the primary power of God into salvation. We could say the first means of grace. Sacraments, they become secondary. But still, even though they are secondary, they are the instruments that... God uses for the sake of gathering his people. And now to see how Christ conquers hearts by water and the bread, we are well served again by the words of the Great Commission. You know, it's really regrettable that so often people point to this passage in an effort to prove believer-only baptism. You know, this passage isn't helpful at all with respect to the question of whether children should be baptized or not, because that is not the issue it is addressing. No, the intent of that instruction of our Lord is to, to make clear to his disciples that the gospel is not only for the Jews, but also for the nations. And if you want to put it in terms of baptism, you could say, the issue was not believer baptism or infant baptism, but Gentile baptism. Versus only Jewish baptism. That's the issue. But the Lord Jesus Christ, by those words, as he sent his disciples into the world and said, Now you go to the Gentiles too. He was showing the promise to Abraham was fulfilled. Abraham had been set apart from the nations to, in the end, be a blessing to the nations. Well, that day had come. Now, as I said, the big issue also hinted at in the end of Matthew 28, is what the place of the Gentiles would be in the church. That shows up also in the book of Acts. How difficult it was for the believers, the Jewish believers at first, to see that the gospel was for the Greeks and the Romans and all the other nations as well. It took the Lord another special revelation to the apostle Peter. You know, well, that situation where he was in prayer and he saw that a sheet come down from heaven with clean and unclean animals, and the Lord telling him that he should eat. And Peter still couldn't fathom that. And then right away, of course, that is followed by the fact that representatives of the Gentile Cornelius came looking for Peter. And all of a sudden it dawned on the Apostle Peter, yes, the gospel is for the Gentiles too. And even though when he came to Cornelius, even though when Cornelius and his family listened with great eagerness, It almost seemed to be the situation that Peter could not comprehend yet that the gospel was for the Gentiles. And what the Lord God does is he sent the Holy Spirit down upon the family of Cornelius just like it had been received by the disciples on Pentecost. You see, and then then Peter realized the Gentiles too, they are included. Look, they received the same gifts as we have. The Holy Spirit came upon them. And then then Peter realizes, well, if they receive the same gifts and they are entitled to the same sign. And then, after that, he baptizes them. Very significant. By being baptized, just like the Jewish believers had been baptized, the Gentiles came to stand in full fellowship with Peter and all the other Jewish believers. And again, how winsome our Lord works. You know, there are organizations where you have to undergo very difficult initiation rituals. It's in the news sometimes that in certain universities, if you want to become part of the crowd, you have to do some very humiliating, awful kind of things. In other organizations, they have all kind of complicated, intricate steps before you can be a full-fledged member. And in some situations as well, you can never become a true insider, but you're always an outsider. But this is not how it is in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps you should say this is not how it should be in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he told his disciples, when you go out now and you make disciples of the nations, well, you teach them the same thing, that you're going to teach your fellow Jews. And when you give them the sign... You're going to give them the same sign. Whether they're Jew or Gentile, it doesn't make any difference. You're going to baptize them in the name of the triune God. And we can add to this that those who belong to Jesus Christ would eat the same bread and drink the same cup. They weren't going to bake different loaves for the Jews and the Gentiles. They would sit together. Because the Lord's Supper was a sign not only of the communion of the believers with Christ, but also of the believers together as they formed one new community. But the key thing to note with respect to the water and the bread is how they are so winsome by their reassuring character. But think of a, a person who, who visits a family for the very first time. It can be very awkward. The person feels a bit shy and comfortable. But you know, a family, some families have a real knack for that, and right away they, they widen the circle. They don't put the person in the second row. No, they widen the circle and the person sits right in the circle where they have their conversation, get a cup of coffee, they share the treats, they share their enjoyment together, they share lunch. And so a person is made to feel at home. It's also how it works when the Lord gives the sacraments. And the beauty of the water and the bread is that they not only picture how we have forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ, but they impress upon us, all who participate, that we have a full share in him. Because all who are washed and who eat and drink are full participants in the church of Jesus Christ. Because really there are only two categories in the church of Jesus Christ. Either you are in or you are out. And you see in the process, the, the hesitant believer is reassured in his weak faith and he, and he learns to, to love his Savior even more, as the Savior lets him share in the symbolic benefits. We're freely using some words from the Apostle Paul. Being baptized into the name of the triune God, eating the same bread and drinking the same cup, impresses upon all that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, rich or poor. All are one in Jesus Christ, as is evidenced in sharing in the same signs and seals. Because you watch carefully. Next time you have baptism, and compare it to the next times after that, and you will notice that at the same time, every time again, same amount of water is being used, no matter what child or what adult is being brought forward. When it comes to the Lord's Supper, you watch carefully, and you'll notice that no one gets an extra big cup, and everybody else gets a little cup. Everyone gets a little cup. Everyone shares. Everyone gets a little piece of bread. That's how it is. Equality in the Church of Jesus Christ. Because we all share equally in His benefits. And now the very nature of baptism and the Lord's Supper in turn also impress upon us the marvelous way the Spirit enabled His commissioned officers to travel light. I pointed out before, but when you come right down to where a missionary can go into an area with nothing but the clothes on his back. And yet, he has access to the whole toolkit of the Holy Spirit. Because all you need in the end, for one who has himself been trained in the gospel, is a mouth. A mouth that can speak. And then, when it comes to the signs given by the Lord Jesus Christ, well, everywhere people live, you're going to find water. Otherwise, people could not live. So you can give the water of baptism. And everywhere people are, you're going to find bread and wine or some sort of equivalent that can be used if the culture is different. Because in the end, the servants of God, you could say they can come with empty hands, so it seems. And yet, they are filled with the winsome tools of the Spirit. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has appointed such ordinary things from daily life, to be used to portray the washing away of sins and the way that he nourishes us spiritually. Now, of course, you realize, I'm not advocating that we send out missionaries only with the clothes on their back. Neither am I advocating that you should all of a sudden say to your ministers, well, no more book allowance for you, but just use your Bibles in preparing your sermons. No, I'm only showing that at bottom, all that Christ needs to win hearts is a servant who will faithfully open his mouth to proclaim the gospel. All he needs is a little bit of water, just a little piece of bread, just a little bit of wine. Because God's soldiers can travel light if need be. And still men and women will be one. It is often in those times that it seems like God's soldiers have not, no tools at their disposal. That they have to, by necessity, travel light that the Lord can bring about dramatic results in allowing that gospel to penetrate a previously impenetrable area. Because in the end it is shown that the vessels are simply earthen vessels, but the power is from God. And after the initial conquest, after the breakthrough has been made, okay, then, then you bring in reinforcements, then you bring in the scriptures, then you bring in all kinds of helpful literature, but in principle God's servants need an open and faithful mouth, they need some bread, some wine, and some water, and they can be the tools of the Spirit to accomplish His purpose. In the light of all this, you'll understand what a tremendous activity we actually have just been busy with for the past half hour or so as we sat under the preaching of the gospel. You'll also understand what the tremendous activity takes place whenever someone is baptized, whether it is a child or an adult, Or whenever you celebrate the Lord's Supper, you might think, well, it's only so small, so low-tech, so seemingly insignificant, but it's the power of God. And that makes you realize that the hour of worship, you could say that is the hour of God's power, because Christ is at work there, conquering hearts by water and the Word. Amen.